Hey, and welcome to the Curious Cult Show. You are currently listening to a curiously quarantined live recorded episode. These were recorded in front of a live audience digitally on a webinar. So please don't look for the chats. Don't look for the questions. Just enjoy me and the guests talking about really interesting things and obsessing over our curiosities. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Please give us a like, a rating, a review, and a share everywhere you can possibly think. That's what keeps me curious and interested. And for now, enjoy the talk. Very appropriate that Dave is sitting in his sim racing chair. Um, welcome to the Friday business stream. Um, if you are around, you can see the chat on your right-hand side. Give us a wave, tell us where you're from. Um, I'm going to explain the platform quickly at the bottom down here. You can see an ask a question button. Please click that button. If you want a question, we can then vote it up. What's up Bagman? Um, then there is also polls that I might put in at some points to see if you are esports engaged or not, if you've got a side hustle or not. Um, but yeah, the main thing is keep chatting in the side and uh, ask Dave and I some questions as we go. Um, Dave. Thanks for giving me your time. I know how fucking busy you are at the moment. Um, so yeah, thanks. Oh, dude, it's a pleasure. I always got time for my mate, Nick. Uh, uh, I think let's you. make it clear to everyone that we are probably the longtime friends, best friends. Yeah. Um, but it's worth sharing one of our conversations online because I think that we do, we go through multiple channels, get quite deep. And uh, let's see if people find that interesting. For those yeah. who don't know, uh, my name's David Perrell born and grew up in South Africa, particularly Cape Town. Um, I now live in England though, because later in life, I pursued a dream to become a professional racing driver, which I managed to achieve. And that's what I usually do pre COVID. But now these days I've gone back to my entrepreneurial roots, which we will cover, I'm sure, uh, during this time and have mixed my real racing with esports and sim racing, which is sim racing has been a passion of mine since I was about 13 or so, or so, since Gran Turismo 1. And funnily enough, same for me, actually. I've been playing Gran Turismo since Gran Turismo 1. Obviously yeah. not at your level and not when we've been friends. Kind of, I, I stopped gaming when, when we yeah. were friends. But the, yeah, incredible. The, the founder of, the creator of that game, Katsunori Yamauchi, I was thinking about it the other day. I got a privilege, I was privileged enough to meet him yeah. um, for like five seconds at an event. And I was just thinking the effect that he had on my life was, is profound. It's so funny yeah. how there, there can be people in this world who genuinely shape the direction of your life. And he, yeah. he took me down a direction with, by creating this game and allowing it, it opened up sort of channels and ways of me thinking about racing, which other people at the time, frankly, weren't doing. Yeah. And now it's kind of looped back, but he, he, his games gave me this belief in myself because I was trying to beat the world records and I was achieving that, which allowed me to think a crazy enough idea that I could travel overseas and become a professional. And it was because of this game, which is to me quite cool. Okay. There's obviously other yeah. factors. But yeah. It was a major one. Um, so I want to just tell everyone who's watching that Dave has actually asked me to cut him off if he goes too deep and too wide into too. something. So I yeah. just, people, I'm not being rude. Dave has asked me to cut him off, please. Turning the photo um, so, so actually, Dave, that reminds me, one of my favorite quotes is the quality of conversation improves with time. 
And that's why I always I always enjoy uh, speaking with you because we have been such close friends for so long. We just skip all the bullshit and go straight into the deep stuff. Um, but let's not do that now. I want to ask. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, as friends, yeah. because we know too much about each other, we could skip some details that yeah. maybe are more um, interesting than my waffling. Absolutely. I, I mean, I don't know. I'll be the judge of that. Um, so... <laughs> So because because we've been friends for so long, we're like most good friends, not very complimentary of each other. But the, th the reason that I wanted you on this particular um, show of mine is you've managed to do something that I, very few people actually manage to do. Um, I talk a lot about the expert generalist thing. And uh, in I think it was in the last dance, they talk about uh, being the 0.01% in something. And if you can't be that, you better go wide. And you've actually managed to be a world-class entrepreneur, a world-class designer, and a professional racing driver at the highest level. Um, so the question off the back of all of that is, what motivates you? Like, how do you keep going? Uh, so, so the main thing is that anything that I tried to do when I was younger, and again, it started with the PlayStation, actually, was um, I had this desire that if I was going to dig into something, I wanted to measure myself against the best in the world. Uh, so with, it started with Gran Turismo because actually, look, up to that point, I, I didn't consider myself very competitive in my, as a child and in my early teens. I sucked at all sports. I sucked at school. I was hopeless. But I could beat video games. And that was the only thing I could lean on, honestly. I mean, you see me try kick a ball. It, it doesn't I, exist. You took the words out of my mouth. I've seen you play soccer. Yeah, I, I can't manage a ball. Um, and at the time I wasn't a good runner. I'm a good runner now, but I wasn't a good runner then. Uh, but damn video games, I could do well. So anyway, uh, by the time I, yeah, I got to Gran Turismo three, I discovered this forum called GT three times. And this is where the world's best Gran Turismo drivers were playing. And I started to compete against them and started to match them and beat them. And that little taste of being amongst the best in the world at something was something that stuck with me for a very long time. And it's when we, my brother and I eventually created a, a WordPress theme company, our ambition was to be the best in the world, not to be the best in Cape Town or the best in South Africa. And when I did kart racing, I wanted to be the world champion and even led the world championships at some point. Um, and it's the same when I went to real, uh, to big track racing. So, my motivation has always been to measure myself. I think one of the motivations rather is just to measure myself against the best in the world and see where I land up. If I believe I'm good enough, because I don't waste my time playing table tennis or anything like that, for example. Yeah, I think that's, um, that's an interesting observation. And I think like even from a business owner or entrepreneur or sole proprietor perspective, uh, knowing what you're good at is such an underrated skill. And like we're taught from a very young age, to not acknowledge what you're good at, especially yeah, in South be Africa, modest. be humble, be modest, be humble. Don't talk to the world about what you're good at. And it's, it's such a failing in business. Um, like if you, if that old saying, if you judge a fish to climb a tree, it's always going to feel like a failure. Um, yeah. you, you've got to know what you're good at and go with it. And I think you've kind of done that quite successfully, but you did also have these ups and downs, right? I mean, yeah, you weren't the racing yeah. driver from forever. You started no, no, no. the business. Yeah. I was forced to stop because like, most aspiring racing drivers, I ran out of money. Um, yeah. And at that point, I said, okay, when, I, when it was, the end was, it was completely done. 
there was no ways I was going to raise another dollar or rand um, to continue my racing career. And I'd, I'd kind of hit the ceiling where I kept, even the racing I was doing was in South Africa, many thousands of kilometers away from the hub. I had no way of getting there or anything. So I said, okay, it's over. I'm stopping, but I'm not giving up. But I'm going to take that dedication I had for the racing and try to put it into the business. And I remember telling my brother that because um, we were business partners from the day I left school. My father taught me how to code. <laughs> he taught me how to code. He threw a manual at me. That's what he did. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then a year later, my brother left school and I taught him what I knew, which was very minimal. So we yeah, were business blind partners. Blind the blind. Yeah very close as brothers uh, and we just kind of partnered up but we spent the first three or four years dicking around um, just doing like the the website for the hairdresser down the road yeah we had this one guy I never told you we had this one guy who um, he was so the angry conversation improves with time yeah he was so angry with us that he sent his bodyguards to our house to our office I mean <laughs> and they waited outside because um, they wanted their money back because he wasn't ranking on first on Google on the first day that the website was launched. Got wow. tons of those. Stories. I mean, what was this like early 2000? No, no. So we started uh, making websites in about 2007 or eight. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah SEO was still magic back then. Yeah. But also if you launch your website, it's not going to rank first on the first day, even if you type in your domain. And yeah, this guy didn't understand that. Um, where was I going with this, Nick? So, yeah, I, I dedicated my focus that I put into racing that you have to be obsessive with all these things if you want to excel. Yeah. And I became obsessed with web design and marketing. I love marketing. Even before I was, um, started the business, I would read the design and marketing magazines that you could find. And I had, I had a, a passion for business in school. It was the only subject I did well at. But I, I never for one second considered myself an entrepreneur because I'm terrible at sales. I can't mm. sell you anything. But yeah. I know how to make a system which will lead you to buy something on online. So that was a cool, like, unlock, if you will, in my abilities. Um, okay, but I mean, let's, I'm actually curious to segue into that. So sure. if you were not good at sales, how did you sell anything? By not doing the sale myself. I let the okay, design, we'll the websites, the copy do the sales for me. If, if you, okay. if we had try and do a sale by email, I'm fine. But face to face, I tend to stumble. I don't have, I'm not quick on my ah, feet with my words. Okay. So if you like pitch me something for less, I don't, I can't think of like, oh no, but I'll give you this instead. And I was terrible at that. I still am. I never once picked up a sponsor as a racing driver, not one sponsor. I've made a, a ton of beautiful pitches, beautiful story. And I saw, I remember clearly I got invited to, um, to meet like the head of marketing or something, or it's not the wrong, the right title, uh, at Sachi, Sachi and Sachi. And I was like, David, don't I remember this, up. yeah. And I was so nervous sitting in the, the waiting room. I'm like, you've never sold anything. How the hell are you going to do this now? It's like going from grade one to matric or grade 10 or yeah. grade 12, just like that. It's not going to happen. And I just, mm. I'm so embarrassed by this meeting to this day, like, I shrivel up like a raisin thinking about it because yeah. he was open to helping me. But mm -hmm. my pitch was so terrible. I was like, I was looking down. I was so nervous, like frozen. Um, and obviously it was a total failure. I didn't get anything from him. He never replied to me again. Uh, why would he? It's like, I can't sell this guy, you know? 
So, but I mean, that means the internet works for you, right? That's why you're an online entrepreneur because you can I, yeah. tell stories through design. Um, your user experience and user interface expertise leads people down a funnel that gets them to buy what you're looking for. Yeah, I, I genuinely do think I'm good at the internet. Um, I'm not good at the technical side, but I think I have a good idea of of how to find someone who wants the thing I'm selling. And then yeah, with, lead them to that checkout page, which is very difficult. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, for the probably the last seven or eight years, Dave and I have got an inside joke. Uh, it's WTFI, yeah. what the what? fuck internet? Yeah, as soon as you figure out what you think the internet knows and what you know about it, it screws you. And it, it just throws you another curveball. And something like an app comes out and then buttons don't matter. Like It's just yeah. on your toes all the time. It's, it's funny because like, the, the the theme company that my brother and I made the the website template business. Um, we had to optimize every single step to the finest detail to make sure that we got that person to convert. Yeah. Uh, and every single move we did, we'd get a little nibble, mm. and it was so frustrating because we just weren't converting like our competitors with the same ease. No matter yeah. if we thought that our product looked better, or whatever, it just didn't work. And now I do those same moves with the Coach Dave Academy, which we'll get to, which is also online sales. It's an e-commerce website, put simply. Yep. And everything I do just works there at the moment. Of course, I'm waiting for the next curveball, but it's like nothing, none of these moves worked at Layers or at Obox. And now they're working with so much ease with this website. So it shows you still need to have a product that people really want. 100%. And they'll look, they'll look past your beautiful checkout process. I mean, my brother and I tested about a hundred different checkout flows. I'm not, got a yeah, PhD I, in checkout. It is one of my favorite things. And I think it is a good time to kind of go into the target audience and coach Dave. But it's one of my favorite things when looking back on e-commerce, people comment on, you know, Amazon does user testing around the color of the button and the font size. Yeah, yeah, that's true because they get a hundred million people to click that button yes, before the they know. And then a fraction of a percent matters. To us, fraction of a percent doesn't matter. Blue button, a pink button, it doesn't matter. You um, need more people. Forget about the button. I, uh, yeah, I. We have like on Coach Dave, close to an eighty percent or ninety percent. When they get to the cart, ninety percent are checking out, and I haven't Indeed. not paid one pixel of attention to the checkout flow. And I know how important it is. Um, whereas with Obox, we got like five percent or something with the abandoned cart list. You know, when, yeah. you th when you think of yeah. like retargeting and stuff, I'm like, oh, look at the opportunity here. It was just yeah. massive, massive. So I'm still, I'm learning all, all the time about, about this yeah. internet game. Well, so let's like, let's go uh, to the top and then we'll get down to Coach Dave. But um, yeah. let's talk about what the lockdown and the quarantine in London and through Europe affects your racing, your real world racing, because yeah. that's actually where you make most of your income. Yes. Um, and after four years of trying, this was year five money, uh, mm -hmm. got an income, stable income, and then gone. Yeah. So like, talk to me about that moment that you were like, oh, crap, this is shutting down. So I'll just quickly, quickly give a brief outline of how this works. Is in, in the racing world, you have factory drivers, people who race directly for Ferrari, Mercedes, Audi, etc. They are effectively employees of the company. They get in salaries. But... For the rest of the professionals like myself, who are not directly associated with the brand, but do race with teams that use that brand, 
we get paid on appearance. We are freelancers. We get paid for the days that we are at, that we're testing and practicing. We get paid for the race days. So if you're not at the racetrack, you're not getting paid. Now, usually our season ends in November. So you have to wait through the European winter until April, March, March, April, I mean, um, before you start earning money again. Okay. So you have this big gap of, well, figure it out. What else are you, where are you going to make your money from? Mm. So that was on top of the COVID situation. We just started testing, five days of testing, finally starting to make a bit of income through racing again. And then everything gets cancelled. Where were you when it started to get cancelled? I was in the epicenter. I was in Spain. I was in France and I was in Italy. And literally the day that we drove out of Spain, uh, yeah, out of Spain to France, they were closing the borders. That's and when I left so France, team. yeah. And when I left France, they closed the borders the next day. That's how close it was. Maybe it's you. You guys were just dropping Corona like, at all of these countries. You know those movies where like the, the volcanoes are, yeah. and the cars are, just changes down again, finds more speed, and finally the guy went full throttle. You know, they like show the shots of his foot. Like that's what was happening. Yes, Brosnan in, in yeah. one of those movies. That's and it I was it was really eerie. Like I was. Start, initially, I'll be completely honest, I thought that the press were overblowing this thing and I was very frustrated telling my friends, like, like reading nonsense headlines. I was like, this is nonsense, bullshit, to be more specific. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it started to get real when, especially when we were, exited Spain and arrived in France and you could tell, like, the whole pit lane, everyone and all the teams was nervous. The American teams had to uh, exit immediately because they were... America was shutting the borders. And when yeah. the, the American teams exited the test, which was the official test for the season, that's when I was like, oh, my God, this is so serious. I stayed inside the motorhome. I didn't leave there. I just went yeah. out, drove the car, went back to the motorhome. I didn't want to get this thing. And then I started to realize, oh, so I'm not actually going to make any money this year. I just signed two very good contracts, exponentially bigger than anything I'd ever earned in, mo- in motorsports. A sustainable life. Okay. Cancelled. And I didn't know where to go from there. I didn't know. So I flew to Germany to try and pick up my girlfriend. <laughs> she lives in Germany and London. So I was like, I'm going to go to where she is before they start shutting borders down and I can't see her. And then while I was sitting there, I started to see that this flare up of sim racing it was so obvious. Yeah. And I didn't see it before that it started to happen. And I said to my girlfriend, I have to go back to London. She's like, yeah, but if you go back to London, we won't see each other for who knows when. And I was like, no, it's all be fine. It's going to be like three weeks knowing in my head, actually, it would be longer. Okay. And, and, and I just want to make a point that this is, and it's one of the questions I want to ask you later. It is a trend in your life yeah. that you choose your ambition over friendships, partners, family, anyone, every time at every turn. And it's those around you, floor. Yeah, those of us in the audience who know you and have been friends with you, David is the one who taught me to not hang on to uh, connections, to not wait for messages, to not uh, expect phone calls on birthdays, um, because that stuff's not important. If your friend is your friend, he's your friend regardless of phone calls. David taught me that. Uh, yeah. By being useless. Like, that's, that's what I mean. No, no, it was, it was I, <laughs> I taught Nick the hard way because I'm an abusive friend. You know, I'm an abusive uh, boyfriend. Yeah. Because I'm okay. Not, I'm lucky. not my abusive boyfriend. No, and I'm not like the punching abusive. Yeah. But it's just, I'm, <laughs> I am selfish in my ambitions. Yeah. That's the, 
That's the problem. But let's um, not get sidetracked on that yet. So no. you now into so the esports thing, and now you start thinking side hustle. Like fuck, I'm not making money. Point, yeah. I I got to do something else, yeah. and esports is coming. Yeah. So the original thought was, I'd already started coaching people via my simulator um, because I needed to make some money when I wasn't racing. This to me felt like a good thing. One of my the people on YouTube emailed me this idea and I thought it was a joke. He's like, oh, you could coach people. I was like, I'll put the page up. I'll call a coach, Dave. I made a logo in like five seconds um, as a meme. And the next day I got a coaching request. Instead. And then I got another one, another one. But it's it's worth pausing on there too. And I'm sorry, like there's a lot of context oh, here that's super important that's really relevant. Um, you mentioned YouTube as a throwaway comment, but yeah. you've been yeah. building that YouTube channel for how long? Oh, since 2014. Okay. And what was the point at which you were like, oh, I found what I'm supposed to be doing on YouTube? 2019. So four years, nearly five years. Yeah, nearly yeah. five years into your YouTube channel, yeah. you started to gain traction. And literally, I mean, I remember watching it last year go from a couple of hundred views to a couple of thousand views to 10,000 views per video to now you've got 30, 40,000 uh, subscribers on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Some videos have like 200,000 views plus. And the key thing for me that has blown me away is it's niche, 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 obsessive, fanatical niche that love everything you do. Uh, but it took a long time to find it because, but here's the thing, my racing career took a long time. It took from when I was 15 to when I was 34 before I started earning $1 in racing. And it taught me that was a huge life lesson. Same with my business. Yeah. It took five years before Obox really started to make money uh, anything that you could call money. Um, mm. so why should I expect my social media endeavors to, to be like a, a match? Yeah. It's not. So I always had this idea that I'm going to pursue this YouTube thing. Cause I do love making videos. It's another story for another day, but we, mm -hmm. that was how we originally built a box. Um, and I'm just going to keep trying. I'll keep experimenting. The first videos I made were elaborate behind the scenes, editing, music, the whole thing, very difficult to make and time consuming. Um, and eventually my interest waned from that, but I got no traction from that, nothing. Yeah. Like a hundred views. And I couldn't understand it because now those things fly and people beg me to make them. I just hadn't Dude, found the audience. Dude, there's some from the couch fans in the chat. From the couch, from the couch, Man, yeah. Crazy, there's two people yeah. who mentioned from the couch. I do, I still get some, okay, the occasional tweets like when you're going to bring back from the couch because that was a successful little video blog yeah yeah um so uh so the youtube thing eventually i was like okay the the behind the scenes thing isn't working let me post videos of me driving I posted those from a, for a long time for years, still barely any views. Like the most insane overtaking moves, no views. Okay, nothing goes and viral. Like, I mean, from a non from a non racing driver perspective, I'm watching you in a Ferrari going 260 kilometers down a dip, up a dip, and around, shaking. I'm I just keep watching that, thinking, who is not watching this? How is this not like? There's a handful of people like you in the world who are producing content like that. I don't know. And it's just consistency. Yeah. So then I was like, okay. <laughs> Let me move from the, what I think is interesting to the uninteresting. And I started to post my videos or onboard laps from my simulator, from the video games. And suddenly there was yeah. something. And then I combined, then I started watching other video game simulator, 
other sim drivers who do YouTube. Yeah. And they added commentary on top of their videos. And I was like, this isn't going to work. And you, Nick, said, Dave, you need to try this because I don't know what you're thinking when you're driving. I was like, this is, I, I can't. Like, I don't even have a mic. Like, looking for excuses. We're always looking for the technical excuse. And again, I right, said to you, shut up. Record it with your mic that you have. Yeah. Just shitty audio is better than no audio. Yeah. And I got a little bit of traction there. I started to get, I think my first video that I did got a thousand views. I was like, okay, this is working. Yeah. But then I looked around and I realized no one was doing that commentary over their real videos. And I was like, this has to work. So I took one of my best races, commentated over it. And that thing just took off like a house on fire. And then and I did you have the right buy. equipment at that point? No. No, 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 I, so, I recorded I just, it like this. It's super I, I important the, to pause on I that, right? It like and, this, yeah. yeah. So that's such a key thing in the age where we think it needs to be perfect for social media. It doesn't. No. Content over quality every time. Every time. I'm telling you, the first the from the couch videos that we started, honestly, was Prestic. I don't know what else you would call that. With my yeah. cell phone, okay? And the, the, the Prestic would get warm and the <laughs> Nokia phone would like dip. My brother and I knew it, so we'd kind of like on the couch, like that. We'd time oh, it. Oh, that's amazing. And we did that for like 15 or so episodes before we got another cheap camera. But people kept watching us talk crap on this couch. Damn, that is funny, dude. So now if someone says to – I get like triggered when, when someone on my, on my YouTube channel says, you need a better mic. Okay, I have a good mic now. But yeah. I'm like, I don't need Jack, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna where else you get anyway? Yeah. yeah, where are you getting the content from? But the, the key thing there, sorry, Nick, is that no, go for it. I truly believe that it's going to always take time to figure out and find your audience. You don't truly know what your audience wants. I had no idea that my audience wanted me. I thought it was a joke because I was the only one mixing sim and real. I didn't know that there was yeah. an audience for that. And now that's all they want. And it's how I built the coaching stuff. So it came from this YouTube thing. And I do think it's important um, to acknowledge that at the time of you doing it, and, and in typical early adopter st uh, stage, everyone around you thought that that was bullshit. All yeah. the pro racing drivers were like, why are you stuffing around with esports? Like, yeah. what is Wait, this? And all the esports guys were I'm like, what you. are you talking about? Okay, Dave's that, that's my, my room that Dave is in that he's turned into uh, a bed, yeah. uh, an office. So I made this yeah. one cat. And uh, and I wore this at the racetrack. Yeah. And um, people would tease me. What a joke. You know? Ha, yeah. ha, ha. And now I get a lot of those drivers who want to be coaches. So yeah. I'm used to so, being laughed at with these ideas, by the way. Yeah. And so that's a key thing, right? Is resilience is so important because if you're doing something new and interesting that no one is really thinking of, other people are going to laugh at you because it's not what they used to. And you have to ignore that. I mean, I got laughed at for many things. I remember in, in grade seven, standard five, the teacher asked me what I wanted to be one day, and I said a racing driver. I remember the whole class laughing. And I was like, I couldn't understand why they were laughing. I'm like, this is so obvious that I'm going to be a racing driver. I just can't understand what's going on here. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't offended. By me? I wasn't offended. And then when I went karting from the age of 15 to 20 two or three, I would always yeah. talk about how I used Gran Turismo to learn racetracks. And they're like, how could you use a video game? And I said to myself, 
how could you not use this to be a better driver? I was like, yeah. what's going on here? And then that continued even when I went back. So I took a seven-year gap. And when I was 30, I started to come back to racing. And when I came back, it was like I was never away in some ways. I was kind of on the pace. Still had a space to go, but everyone said, like, so what, you know, what have you been doing? What have you been racing? I said, Gran Turismo. And I got laughed at again. And then when I started the coaching What's Gran Turismo? What are you talking about? Yeah. When I started the coaching thing, there was drivers at the racetrack saying, you can't honestly be coaching people on a simulator. And I I thought, well, but why? What's the difference? I'm telling them how to take a racing line and break it. And it, it worked. And again, I was in something, some of these things I knew what I was doing, but other things like the coaching, I stumbled upon it. And that's when I came back to London I just I, did, I created this website called the Coach Dave Academy. I'd already been thinking about it. Let's be clear about that. Yeah. Uh, so I had the logo. I just now had an excuse to dedicate time to it. And how long ago is this? Uh, this is like six, seven weeks ago, eight weeks ago. Um, I started making the website on the twenty seventh of March, and I launched it on the first of April. Okay. So I used my WordPress and WooCommerce and website development experience to whip this thing up. Yeah. Um, and launched on the 1st of April and then have been working, I mean, you know, 18 hour days until now. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to unpack here that, that, that excites me. Um, the one, the one major thing that I want to observe about what you're talking about here, uh, is bundled in a, yeah, Kelvin, thanks for joining us. He's I've one only of my heard coaches. Her- I've only heard terrible things. No, 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 no. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just I'm kidding. I'm sorry. To... I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so so the, the researching my third book now, The Curious Catalyst, um, around curiosity and the kinds of people that are the most curious about the world, one thing that I've come across is this phrase called expert generalists, right? Um, and I'm seeing Tim Ferriss talk about it at the moment. Um, the way that he phrased it was amazing. He said, you've got to smash together unexpected things. And I think that that's what your career basically is. You've smashed together design, user experience, entrepreneurship, sales, marketing, racing, esports, sim, uh, all these interesting things that led you to be able to go, oh, Coach Dave, cool idea. Let me just whip up that website. And you make it sound trivial. But for the average human, that is not a trivial thing to go idea, execute revenue in the space of two weeks. Like it's, it's taken you 20 years of smashing together unexpected things. And you taught me this, you're not paying me for the work I'm doing today. You're paying me for the 20 years of experience to learn how to do the work today. And like, I think I want you to comment on like smashing all these things together that led you to be able to whip this up and find the right market and then explode this business that is gaining more traction. than I think you've seen in any other business you've ever run. No, by far, this is by far the most successful thing I've done from an entrepreneurial standpoint. And I almost... I'm so, I've told you this, I'm so scared that tomorrow just falls apart. I'm so, I've never experienced it before. So I'm just like, I'm stressed that it's going to fail tomorrow. Um, yeah. But so I don't, <laughs> you know me, Nick, I, I don't actually like being called an expert generalist or anything like that. My yeah, dream, my I dream, what you like. I know that my dream is yeah. to be like Jiro dreams of sushi, like an expert yeah. in making sushi. And I wish I had the, that last 2% of driving talents to, to match my work ethic because I think then I would truly excel as a racing driver. I, I know what my limitations are there, but also know that my hard work can help me improve. So 
if I could be anything, I wish I was just an expert racing driver. I wish I didn't have to make a business on the side to be able to afford. Can I ask you a, a very uncomfortable question just on that? Yeah. Then why don't you stop doing everything else? Because I've been in racing for 20 years to know what the top of my bounce is now. And that was okay. always an ambition of mine. It was why I wanted to get to the world championships. I wanted to, in karting, I wanted to see where the top of my bounce was. Mm. And now the thing is that the level I race at in GTs, I'm racing against the world's best drivers in this arena. And I can see where my level is because it consistently happens all the time. There's a, con- you know, yes, I make a small improvement, but they also improve because they're also working. They're just as hungry as me. They mm. maybe don't have my exact story, but they all had to to get to this level, you're competing against guys who are so hungry and so dedicated. They are not just going to give up their spot on the grid to yeah. some guy who only has talent. So yeah. if they do have that 0.2% extra talent than me, they have the same work ethic as me. Um, but it was my acceptance of that mm. to know where I lacked and then try to fill in the gaps that allowed me to continue to become a professional, to continue on that road. I mean, when I was 30 years old and I came into racing, some people asked me what my ambition was. And I was like, I want to be paid to be a racing driver. They're like, you're going to come in at 30 years old and you want to be a pro. Are you out of your mind? It's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I was like, okay, well, I'll just outlast everyone. But going back to the generalist thing. Yeah, the zero dreams of sushi thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was lucky because I was forced into a position where I couldn't race anymore. I had to turn my focus to something else. Um, I discovered through designing my helmets, I discovered uh, design software. I don't know if you guys can't see it. Here's one of them. I designed my helmets on my own. I don't spray them, but every pixel is from my hand here. So, See, I mean, you can't deny you're an expert generalist. You'd, you'd, you want to, but how many racing drivers have got the skills to design their own helmets? Not many, but like Kelvin can. Yeah. So Kelvin is Kelvin, a Kelvin, Kelvin, he's just screwed me over on you being the exception that proves the rules. So no, so rad. the reason I did Kelvin, honestly, sorry, Kelvin, mm-hmm. is uh, he's a super fast <laughs> driver, probably right now one of the top 10 drivers in the world. I'm not exaggerating. Okay. Okay. But, and he's young. Kel, how old are you? Like 23, I think. Ah, uh, no, don't type. Yeah. Don't type anything less than 25. Seriously, don't. No, it's 23, yeah. Don't ah, come but on. he's been messaging me for like the last two or three years about marketing ideas. Yeah. He's got a very strong Instagram profile. But, uh, yeah. You know, he even managed to build his Spotify. He's like, he's got entrepreneurial traits, which yeah. I saw in myself when I was 23-ish. And it's really cool to see. You don't see that in a lot of drivers. But anyway, my passion for racing taught me how to use design software. I designed my first helmet. My brother came in, turned out to be a much better programmer than me. I then dove into design obsessively with the same obsession I took from my motorsport. So maybe it's not the the actual task that you're doing. It's more about your character trait. When you find something that ignites your interest, can Mm -hmm. you become obsessive over it? And can you be patient enough to obsess over it for a long time that you can learn the rules, that you know the framework well enough that when you break them, you, there's a valid reason behind it. Yeah. Um, 
And that combination, dude, of things is so great. The obsession, the patience Patience, um, and willingness to break the rules. Um, It's so interesting you say that because this concept of permission has come up for me in the last three or four weeks when I talk to people um, all the way from uh, Trip Hawkins, the electronic arts founder, to um, the Starbucks founder that I interviewed in my podcast. Um, None of them asked for permission to do anything they did. They just did it. And Honestly, so many people yeah. I see are waiting. Small business owners, you're waiting for the government to bail you out. They're not going to bail you out. You're waiting for someone to tell you you should shift your business. No one's going to give you permission to do no. this thing. You just need to do it. And honestly, again, throughout my life, I mean, when, when we talk about me becoming a racing driver, I can't tell you how, how many people aggressively pushed back on me trying to do that. Aggressively... Yeah try to discourage me and say, David, you're literally out of your fucking mind. This It's impossible. You cannot do this. Do not do this. They got in the way of me doing it. Um, but maybe that's the opposite of what you, sometimes you need permission and sometimes you need someone to tell you that it's not going to happen. That you can't. The funny thing is though, is that I don't have a chip on my shoulder from the people who told me I can't do it. I, I remember more clearly the people who said, David, you, you will be successful with this. Yeah. Um, and I remember, I remember where I was standing when my, I don't want to call him a karting coach, but this was this guy in karting who I really looked, looked up to. And I remember where I was standing where he said that, Dave, you can be successful with this. And that, that was enough for me. That was enough yep. motivation for me to keep going and say, okay, well, he said it. So you guys must all be wrong. You know? Yeah, um, it's interesting. Um, I want to, two, two interesting points on that. The, the first is the quote that I shared with you. Uh, that I read yesterday on Twitter that pessimists sound smart and optimists make money. And I think that's kind of the perception you're talking about here. Some people are motivated negatively and some people are motivated positively. And watching uh, The Last Dance, the thing that I took away from Jordan, every time he was motivated by negatives, not positives. Yeah. Someone would, would even... There were even moments where he would make up people saying bad shit to him so he could be negatively yeah. motivated to destroy them on the courts. Yeah. And it's not definitely not how you're motivated. You're a default positive guy, it's, from what I can take. You're a default optimist. Uh, yeah, if anything, um, I can't, because I never backed myself with my talents, mm-hmm. I can't say to myself, I'll prove it to you on track. I'll just destroy you on track because yeah. I, I knew that wasn't my thing. So I could I could never talk smack like Jordan could talk smack. Yeah, could back it up on the court, and yeah. I know I've been a successful racing driver. I've won in multiple disciplines at a very high level, but I still don't back myself on talent. If I write a book, it will be called "It's Not About Talent" because I truly I don't think I'm a talented racing driver compared to the other the guys that I race against. So what do you back yourself on? Uh, work ethic. Yeah, oh. I. I I just think that I'll be able to figure out a way to be faster. It's the same. I have a, I've had a massive problem with qualifying my whole life and I wanted to use this quarantine and this explosion in sim racing as an opportunity to put myself under a position of high pressure, um, which simulated the pressure I feel in real life when I do qualifying sessions. So if those of you don't, aren't familiar with racing, you've got to, before the actual race to decide where you start on the grid, you do a qualifying session, fastest driver starts first and so on. And I've been hopeless at that my whole life. I used to be happy if I was like, if I qualify in the top eight, I can win this race. That was my ambition. 
because that was the top of my bounce. Wow. So I said, screw that. Um, I need to be better at managing that pressure. Yeah. Uh, and with sim racing, the beauty is that there's a race almost every day, sometimes two times mm. a day I've done. And so I combine that with streaming as well. I fail in front of sometimes a thousand people. I fail when I started to learn this new game that I specialize in at the moment. I was hopeless. And it was like, how could a real racing driver be so bad? Like the comments were a lot of positive guys, but also the yeah. negative ones are the ones you remember. Yeah. And, and it was embarrassing, but it added to the pressure, which is exactly what I was, tr- I was trying to cultivate this, this pressure. And it's really started to improve. I can't wait to take what I've learned from a psychological point of view about myself back to the real world. That's cool. I mean, it's a good segue into uh, a part of this conversation I want us to address. Um, you know, you, you spoke about the psychological pressure you've put yourself under, um, but there is a lot of emotional and mental health uh, strain that goes on just for the average person in lockdown. Um, and yeah. I mean, talking personally about this, um, I didn't realize that I had this pressure until I spoke to my psychologist three weeks ago, and he pointed out that I was working hard enough to avoid admitting that I was in a lockdown and a global pandemic and not dealing with that mentally. So I think my question is, how are you dealing with the mental strain of launching a side hustle, running a second side hustle, managing an esports career, trying to negotiate racing contracts while you're waiting for the real world to come back, managing a partner who is traveling and doing work too, um, and trying to compete at the highest level. Like, that's insane. Uh, okay, so preface. I'm not a, mm. I, I'm a, I'm a homebody. So if you tell me that I have to stay home for a while, it, it does not bother me at all. I actually hate traveling. Mm. We've often discussed this. The side effect of racing is I have to travel a lot. Hate it. Yeah, we live um, the wrong lives, you and me. Yes. So... I, I've been at home. I haven't walked outside of my block because my grocery store is on the same block as me. Yeah. And I thought about this yesterday because I was running around it. I have not left the perimeter of my block for nine weeks. And I spent eight of the last nine weeks on my own in complete isolation in this apartment. Which for me. most people is torture. Um, yeah. I know a couple of founders me. who've been separated from their partners and have only been reunited this week, after eight weeks of being alone in a house, retrenching people, uh, just it's been insane. And I haven't asked you once if you're doing okay on your own because that's you. I just am that way. And uh, I mean, when I was working with my brother, this is actually a sad story, but uh, the, there was a two-year period. This was just after racing yeah. uh, stopped. So I think I was 24 and, 24 and 25. I moved into the offices. So that from the couch, that couch was sometimes my bed as well because it was just in front of my desk. So I'd just, I don't know, I'd do 18-hour shifts on the computer, sleeps in the front thing. Anyway, I genuinely had no friends, genuinely. And the toughest part of my my week was when my brother went home for the weekend because he had friends. He had a social mm-hmm. life. And I remember being pretty depressed during that time because I didn't have the capacity. When I moved to England, I have one friend, two friends maybe, if Nick counts, other Nick counts me as a friend. <laughs> I can talk, if Nick Foster sees this, Nick, there's yeah. only room for one of us in <laughs> One Nick. There's only one yeah. Nick. <laughs> so I, I just adapted from early on to being capable of being my own, being in my own head. Yeah. And even when people are around me, I tend to just 
disappear mentally and not be present. Um, but those are all the positives, Dave. I mean, there, there no, are negatives the, like you aren't sleeping properly. You aren't. No, sleeping so I'm properly. gonna. The yeah. problem is, I became so obsessed with this thing, but I have this PTSD from my previous company failing. That it keeps that keeps me up at night. I I'm so stressed about like have I built something on a house of cards and I'm trying everything I can to keep that together. Then on top of that, as my profile in esports and sim racing has gone up, which to be honest with you, wasn't expected. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Um, I've started to receive pressure from people who I look up to, which has made me, it's difficult to focus on both and excel on both, but I am yeah. trying to achieve that. And that. That combination of pressure, because they require two very different things, um, has been very intense for me. I, I actually cracked the other day. I did crack. And for the first time in ever, I got so angry with something, I threw it across the room. It broke. I've never expressed anger in that way. I'm usually wow. the guy who just lies on the floor. Woosa. It's just, a, it's just a small thing. It's not going to affect your life. I was so furious. Yeah. Um, that, that wasn't a result of the isolation. It was just that this isolation has brought me into this area of focus and stuff and obsession. And now I'm, I'm trying to do way too many things at a high level and I cracked. Mm. Um, that was actually just before Lisa got back. So in the end, I never saw Lisa for eight weeks, my girlfriend. Wow. So yeah. this is like literally the day before she was, she was arriving. Um, and then since she came back, I, I think I have been happier and healthier because she helped me get mm. back to sleep on a regular rhythm. So yeah. something I learned like three or four years ago, and it's obvious to lots of people, but trust me, you sometimes have to learn the importance of sleep. If you're not getting eight hours, seven and a half to eight hours, trust yep. me, it's going to have an effect on you as a, as a creative person, as an ambitious person, as a nice person. As a mom, a dad, a human, as anything. a friend, anything. And this is not me and Dave saying this. There is research no, it's, it's, that it's a says... Fact, yeah that sleep is imperative. And if yes. you look at Casey Neistat and you're like, oh, he only sleeps four hours a day. He is literally one in a million. Everyone else needs minimum of six hours of sleep a oh, night, maximum of nine. Yeah, after a year. But regardless, there are lots of people who say to me, oh, I don't need eight hours of sleep. Bullshit. You're lying. Go back to sleep and then you'll wake up better. Yeah. And I knew I was, um, I was sacrificing sleep, by the way, because yeah. I, I was... Bonolo, I, I Manolo is talking about Ariana Huffington. Absolutely. I mean, her story is brutal. She was so sleep deprived that she woke up at her home desk, stood up, had a head rush, fell over and cracked her cheekbone on the side of her desk and then realized, oh my God, I need to sleep better and founded a company about sleep in the workplace. And right. that's good for you. Yep. That's what her company does right now. Off the back of her being so sleep deprived that she literally passed out and cracked her cheek open. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a joke. Like, sleep is an imperative. Elon Musk is a nightmare. He's an insane person, and I wish yes. that he slept more because he's setting the bar for people to think that it's okay not to sleep, and it isn't. Um, I mean, on this topic, while we're there, I, <laughs> yeah. I did read an article the other day about how people like um, Winston Churchill were famous for saying, I don't need sleep. Uh, a number of prime ministers and presidents who who were sleep-deprived, and obviously were brilliant during the time. I mean, you have to be mm. if you're at that level. Yeah. But they all got Alzheimer's. And there's been uh, studies that have linked the lack of sleep to that kind of... That's the long-term effect. Yeah. 
is you yep. lose your mind. And I mean, to me, yep. that's like terrifying, <laughs> you know? Of course. And especially in a world, I mean, now we are going on a tangent, but I think it's an interesting one, especially in a world where we're living longer. Like there is no need to accelerate the detriment of your brain in your 20s because you want to succeed early. If you're going to live to the age of 80, 85, 90, then you can achieve forever. And I, mean, I, will... I know I know you're going to disagree, but no, no, no. even as an... Wait, even as an entrepreneur, statistically worldwide, more millionaires are minted after the age of 40 yeah, than before. Yes. Like that's a key thing, right? Because you learn your lessons in your 20s and 30s and you can execute them in your 40s, but you can't if you've got Alzheimer's or if you're overweight and if you're not happy and like if you just aren't focused on health. Yeah. Anyways, I do think what are you I do say? think in your 20s, if you're not pursuing a particular thing, it's worth dedicating as much time to learning and experiencing as as possible and sometimes that i mean my mid-20s i was sleep deprived i was grumpy as hell um, am i happy about it no yeah i am i'm happy hmm. i i miss i don't miss those years but i'm so happy i went through because dude if i had to experience that now i wouldn't know what the hell i was doing now this would feel completely alien to me everything i'm doing now is is understanding the experience the bad experiences i had before and anticipating and reacting in a certain way to them yeah. yeah, I think my 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 negative experience of sleep deprivation um, and being unhealthy was may, way more severe than yours was. Um, I've learned being in my 30s now, I've learned that in my 20s, my body was telling me that I was breaking and I was ignoring it. Um, and I mean, I've told this story a lot and you know this, obviously, but what I'm trying to tell people now is fundamentally, all of us believe that putting ourselves at the top of our priority list is selfish. I'm trying to help people understand that there's a difference between self-care and selfish. You can look after yourself and be a better human to be around, and that's yeah. not selfish. Yeah. That's not like, that's it's completely okay, right? And let me tell you what the opposite is. In my 20s, while we were going through the Motribe exit and whatever, <clears throat> I had a stomach ulcer that hospitalized me. I had kidney stones twice. I had insomnia, and I, and I had shin splints. And in that period, I also forgot, my body forgot how to <laughs> pee. I was literally going to pee every hour <laughs> on the hour. It was, it was a running joke at our company. They'd be like, oh, it's two o'clock, next going to pee. Up, oh, it's three o'clock, next going to pee. I went to a specialist and he was like, dude, you're mentally, you're stressing yourself so much that yeah, the body is reacting. And so I regret treating my body that way because I still suffer from some of those things in my 30s. I still can't run properly to this day because yeah, in the bummer. first couple of years of running a retail company, I insisted on running every store 12 hours a day, seven days a week myself on my feet. And it broke my, my literally broke my legs. And I still suffer from that. So there is a, a bad, there's a dark side to this that I just, I think in your twenties, you can pull back to 90%. You don't have to be at 150. I think you have to, you can't tell this to people, dude. I'm learning that I'm trying to learn what experiences, you know, experiences and it comes from the racing side they'll tell you don't go for that move because this will happen this will happen this will happen and you're like you know it but now you have to go through a checklist while you're going to act on instinct okay so then yeah. we go for these moves anyway even though someone told us not to and the effect of the failure or that i hate the word failure we'll cover that mm, i know what you mean mm. uh it it sits in the center of your core being yeah. and that that database of yeah, it's like muscle memory. Are instantly accessible by something which you can't, which aren't always conscious, and that experience allows you to become a better sportsman, for example, because instinctually you you just know from a your body becomes fearful of that move, and and reacts in the opposite way naturally. 
And I think the same thing has to happen for people in, in life as well. You have to go through, okay, in your case, it was tough. You had a lot of physical issues. I was lucky. I was just tired and grumpy. I was grumpy as hell. And my experience came from how I treated my brother, which wasn't fair to him. But now yeah, but I I've think Mike's, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I've just learned from that feeling when he confronted me about that. Yeah. No longer made me this like sleep deprived, horrible human to be around. In your case, it's a health issue. You don't want kidney stones again, dude. But dude, I think it, I think this is the fundamentally we're talking about two different things. One, you're talking about the the muscle memory of uh, learning experience. a lesson through failing and experience, and I'm talking about the social narrative of working yourself okay. until yeah. you are sick. Yeah. And that's the problem, right, is, yeah. is we need to shift the baseline narrative from you don't need to work yourself till you're sick in your 20s. You right. need to experience life. You need to try things. You need to do cool stuff and test your limits. But you don't need to work 18 hours a day to be cool. You don't need to show us that you are that person. So what I'm obviously, dude, we, my dad would say that we're still babies. Okay. We are still babies. If you look at like, you're going to live to old head disagrees. Bro. Yeah, well, me too. But uh, yeah. that's why we're cats, bro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> things take time, dude. They take time. And yeah. in your 20s, you're in a massive rush. And this is why we were working 20 hours a day, because we were in a yeah. rush to be fill in the blank, millionaire, successful shop owner, whatever the case may be. Yeah. But if I rewind and think, geez, it took me 20 years to become a professional racing driver. How much time is that? What does last Thursday mean in the, in the context yeah. of things? So what I yeah. tell young racing drivers these days, when I go to a karting event, when I talk to my drivers and coach Dave, I'm like, listen, whatever you achieve today, whether you lose or come last, that result means nothing. But what you experience today will mean everything in the future. Focus on the experience and don't rush everything for the result. Because yeah. I promise you the result, I've won races, I don't, even, I don't remember my first race win in karting i don't even remember the feeling i don't remember mm -hmm. any of it i do remember spinning out on my first race though and that feeling and i won't do that again it was on the first lap it's an interesting comment on the uh the movement that's become popular at the moment of mindfulness um and what i what I, I like about the mindfulness move, movement is that it's teaching me to be present in the experience that i'm having now and you know this, what you've just said about your first race win is what happened to me when I sold my first company. Um, it was a bad exit. My partner sold it behind my back. We got the sale agreement. I signed it. I was in my underwear at home, put the agreement down and carried on watching TV. <laughs> I didn't celebrate. I don't yeah, celebrate. Didn't celebrate. Stuff. Didn't say boo or bar. And like, that's fundamentally not good. And I like the idea of being present and experiencing your victories because what happens when you get to like you know Lamar and you win and you're like oh cool that that's was what fun. You have the trophies for. That's what, oh, it depends yeah. it depends what your what your ultimate goal is my ultimate goal is to is to race at Lamar and as a result of that ambition and that drive I've managed to win other big races but those weren't my dream so they do feel good but it wasn't the thing that fulfills me mm. and I'm more than happy to celebrate the things that fulfill me based on my imaginary checklist of ambitions um, yeah. But the things that happen on top of that is the it's the cherry, it's the cream, um, and they're cool. But I also consider those things to be not lucky. That's not the right word, but yeah, I am lucky to to be able to achieve those things along the way. They're bonuses. Um, if I get to Lamar, I always I always picture it in my mind, and I wonder how I'm going to feel about it. 
but I'm, I, you know, I've never been a guy who parties anyway. So the idea of celebrating isn't high on my list, but the feeling, that emotion is what I'm chasing more than the celebration. Mm. Yeah. Okay, dude. So we're going to move towards uh, ending off. Um, it's been a riveting 55 minutes. Um, my last question is around your, your worldview. You know that I've got like my 10 nickisms that I live by um, <clears throat> that kind of are my home and my center and they kind of inform all my decisions. Um, so do you have that? Like what are some of yours? What's your, I'll give you an example of mine is offenses taken, not given. Mm. Um, learn the rules but ignore them uh, sometimes you have to burn everything down and start again yeah so like do you have any of those uh, i probably have too many i don't have it defined but i do have one standout yeah is uh, expect nothing but be prepared for anything um, and that can just be in the in the field that you're in that in that moment but i i always like to keep my expectations low people think that i'm being a pessimist i'm not i'm just not if you walk into the arena expecting to win it's probably not going to happen on that day and you're going to be devastated. Um, if you expect that this new t-shirt you're going to sell is going to make millions and it doesn't, you're not going to understand why, because you came in with a certain level of expectation, which, which clouds your judgment. I've lived by that as, as since my early twenties. Um, the other one I live by is, um, still I rise or another word is train like a rookie. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. You, there's going to be someone better. There's gonna, you're going to have to work extra hard to beat them. And then once you beat them, there's going to be another guy on top of that. And you always have to walk into the – try to have an open mind to learn and to mm. improve and to think that you, you're not finished yet. You're not finished yet. Um, and the, I, always, I always think that. Every time I wake up and I want to go training and I'm feeling lazy – it's like, well, you, you haven't earned that laziness, you know. What, what have you done compared to the other guy? Um, so yeah, to me, like those two Amazon's things are A1. Amazon's always a day one. That Jeff Bezos' statement yeah. that Amazon always operates as if it's day one. And the, other, the last thing is that it's a more recent thing, but it's only because I have the luxury of context, knowing how long it took me to become a professional racing driver. It's just I have to be patient. And... Yeah. Every single move I do, I have to be patient. I still have an ambition to turn the Coach Dave brand into some merchandise stuff, but not just like, oh, I like supporting Coach Dave. And I'm going to take the same approach I did with my YouTube, uh, and it's going to take me five or six years before I think I find what works there. Mm. But it's something that I'm keeping in the back of my mind. In fact, now I've actually taken the website down, the, the merchandise site, until I try something else with it. And... It's a cool little project that's very much on the side for now. Yeah. But I want to experiment with that patient approach. Coach Dave was a patient approach as well. The actual company that is running now was, yeah. let's put up a, a landing page. Let's see if people sign up. I got one or two requests a month, then one or two a week. And it started to work. And then I invested. So I was willing to, these days, more willing to play a longer game. But I haven't figured it out. I'm still a rookie. So... That's yeah, I think it's a great disposition to take, right? Because that also gets rid of that arrogance of, oh, I'm a pro driver and I know what I'm doing. Or, oh, this is my, and for me, this is my 13th business. I know I'm going to get it right. Because you're not. Everyone's <laughs> got a plan until you get punched in the face, said Mike Tyson. Yeah. And like, that's the truth, right? And if you're always a rookie, you're waiting for the punch. Uh, in, in motorsports, we're always reminded, no matter how good we are, we're not, we can't win every race. In all sports, actually. Yeah. 
Um, and trust me, losing sucks. It hurts like hell. Mm. But that's... These days, I'm actually a pretty good loser. I'm used to it now. <laughs> I am. Because you lose more than you win. You lose yeah, more than you yeah, win. Of course. And the days that you win, sometimes it's not even because of your brilliance. I've won races where on the last lap of a 12-hour race, the leader crashed out. The last lap. Yeah. And it yeah. wasn't because of my brilliance that got us that, that podium. We just happened to be in second place. That was good enough on that day. Yeah. So That's so interesting. Yeah. And that can happen in business too, by the way. Suddenly everyone likes yeah, purple and you happen to be setting the purple top. hundred percent. You have to but be I mean, that, those things. That goes back to consistency, preparedness, and the more you practice, the better your luck gets. Like you put yourself in a position to be second, right? You weren't accidentally second in that race. No, it's no, no. unfortunate that the leader screwed up and they lost, but like you were there. You could have been seventh. Yeah. So to end off on that, because you could call that a lucky thing. Some would, yeah. Okay, so my idea of luck is not as traditional as other people where you just stumble upon this thing. I believe that you, you have to, first of all, you have to be walking down a road. Luck presents itself as a fork in that road. Okay. It is your decision to still take that route. And you still have to execute on the luck that was presented to you yep. in order to be successful at that thing. So yes, you can have lucky moments. There's no question. And I've been a very lucky person in my life. I'm not denying that but you still have to execute on the luck that is presented in front of you. You have to walk the road. Um, and being in second in that example, uh, well, we actually had to get to second before yeah. we could be lucky to win. Yeah, and then, 100%. And that's another thing I suppose I live by. So, Yeah. There you um, go, Nick, Harry. That's all we got. Dude, uh, never dull talking to you. Um, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you online, follow you, buy stuff from you? Hit me. So... Because I'm a terrible salesman, you don't have to buy anything from me. <laughs> you do. Go get coached no. from Dave. No, uh, Twitter. At these days, I promote Twitter. I'm very active on there. Probably too active. Um, it's the only platform where I share everything that I do. Like Instagram is just for racing and stuff and so on. Um, so Twitter.com forward slash David Peril. I'm David Peril on everything. And uh, just Google David Peril. I try and reply to every tweet, every email, every DM that I get. Because when I tried to go racing again i emailed uh yeah i emailed a famous racing driver and he replied in 30 seconds and that just gave me something okay it was like <gasps> it was no it's, longer it's this bubble yeah there was no longer like this wall in front of me someone like reached out of the wall and touched me and yeah. uh, i i try to do that with the people who try to interact with me so amazing yeah Dude, thanks for your time. And uh, for anyone watching, this will go up on my YouTube. I'll share it with Dave if he wants to put it up on his too. I will share. Um, yeah. yeah, amazing. Dude, have a good weekend and good luck with the races yeah. this weekend. Thanks to everyone who tuned in. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to that live recorded webinar episode. That is one of the series of curiously quarantined episodes that I have made available to you while I record season two of the Curious Cult Show, which will be focused on starting something. That season comes out really soon, so please keep a lookout for that. If you liked this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Please share, like, review, and give us some love anywhere you can think of on the interwebs.